The following audio is from Village Community Church. For more information, please visit www.villagecommunitychurch.net. So Jesus is walking along the road. There's crowds just like this gathered around him. He's, he's walking. His disciples are around him. He's a rabbi, remember? So he's being asked all kinds of questions, and he's answering questions, and it's just conversation and dialogue. Much what happens around here we're in community when you're traveling and doing life together. And so he's walking along the road, and over on the side there, he sees a man who was born blind. He says, oh, look at that, and, and, and he notices him over there. The dialogue continues, and they're asking him questions. And one of the disciples steps up and says, hey, 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 uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this man who was born blind, now, he's probably known, he's, he's begging for alms, and so he's probably out of the house and trying to bring in an income and make his own way. And that's, that's uh, he was an outcast, and he was not able to, in that culture, provide for himself, and so that's how he was relying on all these other people. And so if you turn to John chapter 9, you can see this whole story, and that's where I want to kind of camp today as I share my story with you, but think about this. The disciple uh, asks this question. Everyone else is probably listening in, asking the same question. John chapter 9, verse 2. And his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, think about that question. Now, back then, in that culture, they probably didn't think twice about that question. When we read that question, we go, what? Who would ask that question? Are you kidding you know, but if you think about it, a lot of us in our culture, even today, we may ask those questions in our mind. We may not say them out loud when we look at people, right? Who, you know, come on, right? We're, we're no different. People are people, right? Sin entered the world way back, right, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and since then, sin has been ruining things and ruining our view on things. And we have to be reminded of the truth because Satan is a liar, right? And he wants to lie to us. And so we have to be reminded of the value of all people, that we're all equal, right? And God loves all of us. And so look at Jesus' answer here in verse 3. Jesus' answer, I love this. Jesus just brings it. He's, he's like that parent who gets asked all these questions, weird questions. Questions are like, what? Right? And he just, he's an awesome parent. What a great example that Jesus sets for us parents in here. Look at this. He sets for all of us. Jesus answered, it was not this, that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's not... It's not this guy's sin. Now, I just want to stop a little bit. Sin entered the world. It ruined things. That's why we have disease. That's why we have things. So, so I was born with a genetic disease called cystic fibrosis. It affects your lungs, affects your pancreas and other things. Uh, when I was diagnosed at age 10, uh, I got in my mind somehow that, that the age expectancy was in the teens. It was about then. Now it's uh, risen and it's been rising ever since, and now it's at about 42 if we pay attention to those things. <laughs> I, I believe that our 
days are marked by the Lord, and he can help us live as long as we want to, and that's, you'll get to hear the rest of my story with that, and why I'm up here, and why I'm alive, and doing this thing. But here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus' answer, I want to read the NLT version. Now, I just read out of the ESV, but the NLT said this. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now, many of you in this room may have been praying for me in my journey, right? I was diagnosed at 10, and, and I lived with cystic fibrosis, and I lived rather, a, a rather uh, normalized life, taking my treatments, doing my thing. I had some limitations that I had to embrace. Like most of us, we have to say, hey, limitations are good for us, right? Live within them. And you can see the freedom that comes from that. And God produces those things. And I got to be uh, a youth pastor. I got to marry a beautiful wife named Kendra. I got to have beautiful children in my home, CJ and Kylie and Nirvana. And I get to have all kinds of amazing relationships. And I got to come here to Appleton and help be part of this church planting movement, what we call a disciple-making movement where we're just helping as many people as possible come to meet, know, and follow Jesus. If, if you see here, uh, there's a picture of my family. Uh, as we, you are worth it is my title. You can go to the next one. Next one. Next one. There you go. Look at that. Look at that beautiful scape. I had to show the picture, even though my family's right up here. Uh, we, we moved to Arizona after, after my health got so bad, I had to resign from Mercy Road and planting after three years. And look at how God answered that prayer. Village Community Church, you know, is here, and, and look, not, not because of anything I did, but he just, God continues the movement. And then we got to enjoy this beautiful scenery in Arizona for about a year and a half. And, uh, and I am the most blessed guy on the planet, all right? Now, you might be thinking, I'm really jealous of Jed Haas right now. <laughs> right? Blessed means, uh, makarios means happy. Man, I am so happy with what God has given me in the midst of my trials. Now, what happened when I moved to Arizona was my health continued to decline, and we had to move back, and I uh, got the opportunity to move in with my in-laws, <laughs> and we've been living there for the last year and a half with my in-laws, and it, it's been a joy uh, it's been a challenge, but in the first year, I was looking death in the face. And my health continued to decline. And so I can relate to this man in the Bible where Jesus takes this opportunity to show, wow, how he can use our stories to display his glory and his power. Now, in John chapter 9, I... For those of you familiar with it or those not familiar, if you would read that, that would be great. It's not about the man born blind. <laughs> John is not, the writer, is not telling you about the man born blind. The focus is on Jesus the whole time. And so our story, and as you hear my story, I want you to focus on who? Come on, who? Yeah, that name is powerful. Jesus. That's who we're focusing on today. And so 
as we look at our story and as you hear mine, may it draw you to Jesus. So at 10 years old, I didn't think I was so blessed, right? When I was diagnosed, I kind of actually thought I was cursed because I was like, man, I'm on top of the world. I'm 10. Man, you know, I got, I got all this stuff going for me, and now I'm diagnosed with a genetic disease. And to a kid's mind, when you're 10, right, and you think you have a life expectancy of, you know, a couple years left, you're like, what? What do you do with that? And it can either make you bitter or it can make you better, right? When life circumstances hit you, it can make you bitter or it can make you better. And sadly, I chose the, the bitter route. I decided to walk away from God in my middle school, high school years instead of allowing it to make me better. But God always prevails. He loves us. He pursues us. And I can say it has made me better. I am thankful at 19 I was able to finally say I thank you, God, for my cystic fibrosis. Now, I don't thank God for, for disease and sin in this world, but I thank that God for what he did in my life through it. And I hope that many of you who might be going through this, maybe you have your own story, maybe you're going through a tough life circumstance and you're needing to hear a message from God. And I want to help you be able to get to a place where you can see how it's making you better. And you can turn that on its head and you can hear some hope today. I went through some tough stuff and I had a low self-esteem and I had a, 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 a thought process that was uh, wanting to leave this world. I didn't want to deal with the trials that I had and some of you might be there. Now if we look in John chapter 8, we can see Jesus right before this whole scene He's dealing with some Pharisees, and uh, they were having one, basically it says in John 8, uh, around 30 or so, it says that these Pharisees, 39, they were wanting to kill him, it says in verse 40. Now, you seek to kill me, Jesus says, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. So Jesus is telling the truth, these men are wanting to kill him. And he then down, if you look a little further in verse 44, he says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, the father of lies. Now, when we're going through hard trials, those lies just get multiplied, Right? And he goes after it. The father of lies wants to take you down. Sin destroys. Sin is our greatest danger, and the enemy knows that. And he wants to take you down. He wants to lie to you. He wants to take you far from the truth. And when we're going through trials, we need to get rid of those lies and turn to the truth. And sometimes we hear those lies so often from our own minds, our own thoughts, from others who aren't even intentionally trying to hurt us or tell us lies. They're just absorbed in the culture or from the enemy himself, Satan himself, the father of lies. And so I have three truths I want to tell you today. Three truths. Now, when we look at John 9, John is giving you not only a picture of physical healing, but of spiritual healing. He's giving all kinds of different things. He's giving you 
how physically this, this man's life was transformed, but he's also showing the spiritual healing that Jesus can do and the truth that he brings. And so that's what I want to tell the whole world about this truth. And we need to hear this, these three things over and over and over again. We need them every day. Zig Ziglar says, you need to hear encouragement or motivation, he says, daily, just like you need to shower daily. Because when you don't shower daily, what happens? You stink. <laughs> right? So when we don't hear the truth regularly, what happens? We start to stink. Don't look around you. <laughs> don't nudge. <laughs> oh, man. Yep, so this, we're going to bring a hot shower to you today. All right? So we walk out of here, and when we get to that picnic, we're just all smelling good. All right? So here's the truth. The first one is we are, you are loved by God. The second one is you are eternal. And the third one is you are worth it. So let's jump into this first truth. You are loved by God. When I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at age 10, I did not feel very loved by God. Who does when they're going through a trial? You're like, God, what? Why, why do you do this? My dad taught me that he's all-powerful. The Bible says you're all-powerful. You say to yourself, you're all-powerful. There's all kinds of healings in here. Why would you, why would you do this to me? But I want to tell you, God is crazy about you. He loves you. He's passionate about you. And God hates sin because he loves you. Yeah. He hates sin because he loves you. That can transform us when we know that sin is our greatest danger. Sin is the result of all these imperfections. But guess what? He loves us so much that he defeated sin. He loves us so much. If we go back to the story in John chapter 9, what John's telling us, in verse 4 it says, we must work the works of him who sent me. What does that mean? Work the works of him who sent me, Jesus is saying. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So what is the work, the primary work of Jesus? What's the primary work of Jesus? Yeah, to glorify God. But let's, let's look at one of the greatest Christmas story passages ever. Matthew 1.21. It's so simple, it's right in front of us all the time. When we, whenever you start reading the New Testament over again, I encourage people to read the New Testament over and over and over again, uh, including the Old Testament, by the way. But start in the New. And guess what happens? It says in Matthew 1, 21, his name will be called Jesus and he will save his people from there. Yeah, that's his primary work. It's his number one, to save us. He loves us so much to save us from our sin. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 1,187 of them are about sin and how Jesus came to save us from our sin. Get that. For those analytical thinkers in here, detailed thinkers in here, prove me I'm wrong. 1,189 chapters, 1,187 of them, show 
in all kinds of different scenarios, different ways, different families, different people, how sin is ruining lives now and for eternity and how God reaches in and rescues over and over again and finally at the cross once and for all. What are the two chapters that are not filled with sin and destruction and Jesus needing to say? Genesis 1 and 2. Right on. Look at that. Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 3 is where sin enters. And in Genesis 3, there's the gospel right there. God tells us right in Genesis 3 how he's going to save us from our sin. The whole rest of the Bible. It's pretty cool. So this is the primary work of God. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is simple. I'm going to ask my son what the gospel is because he looks super alert listening to me taking notes. What is the gospel, CJ? It's real simple, three things. Yeah, he died on the cross for us. He rose again and defeated death once and for all. And he is Lord. He's king over all. Or you could do it in the ABCs. First we admit, right, that we need a Savior, that we have sinned. And we repent. We use this word called repentance. Repentance is turning away from our way, our sin, and turning toward God, right? We're going to get rid of that way of thinking and turn toward God. And so we're repenting, we're confessing. And then B is believing that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, he's Lord, he's king. And C is confessing that Jesus is Lord. And you can see the verses there if you're taking notes. Those verses are so simple. They have the essence of the gospel. In each one of those verses, you can share the gospel in light of that. If you've been coming here to Village Community Church for long, you're going to hear the gospel all the time. It's one of our three, right? Primary things. Love, gospel, identity. You're going to hear it all the time. Because it's so refreshing. It's, we want to saturate ourselves in it. We want to know it. So we can take it out because that's the primary work of God. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter who you are, guess what? Jesus loves you. He's crazy about you. Since I have uh, my daughter who lived with me for a little while, I call you my daughter. She's one of my spiritual daughters, Nirvana, with me. Uh, she loves Pooh Bear. Who loves Pooh Bear in here? Yes. So she was given a Pooh Bear at a, as an infant, and that Pooh Bear went everywhere with Nirvana. And she would suck on the Pooh Bear. She'd drag the Pooh Bear everywhere. And we found out as the Pooh Bear was becoming kind of, right, gross, right, uh, that it needed to be replaced. It had been washed way too many times. It's falling apart. And so uh, my wife went out looking for a Pooh Bear. And we learned that you could only get this Pooh Bear at Disney World or uh, one of the Disney stores. And thankfully, we live in the Internet age. So my wife found Pooh Bear uh, replacements online. And uh, we decided to switch out Pooh Bear 
right? So we had these replacements which keep, keep Pooh Bear rolling, right? So Pooh Bear went everywhere with her. And I just want to bring that illustration up to tell you that we are like Pooh Bear. Now, God doesn't replace us. <laughs> we don't get subbed out. I like this Pooh Bear. You know what I mean? But he's crazy about us. He values us just like Nirvana valued that Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear went everywhere. He's crazy about us. He loves us. We're so valuable to him. Right? You are loved by God. I want to ask you a question since you're right here with me. True or false, does God love you more than anyone in the whole world? True. More than anyone in the whole world. It blows your mind. God loves her, your mom, more than anyone in the whole world. True or false? Oh, oh, it blows your mind. That is the greatness of God's love for us, right? He's crazy about us. He's crazy about you. He would have died for you if it was only you. That's how crazy about us he is, all right? So you are eternal. This is the second truth we have to know. We have to know these truths. We have to get them in us. You are eternal. Matthew 25, 46, it says that we will either have eternal punishment or eternal life. So I want to ask you a question in here. Do you believe that heaven and hell is really real? If you believe heaven and hell is really real, it should shape the way we live, doesn't it? Because the way we think shapes the way we live, doesn't it? And if we really believe it's really real, then we have to count the cost, don't we? Because judgment is a real thing. Do you know 100%, this is a question you need to wrestle with, that if you were to die today, that you're going to heaven? Would you say 90%? Would you say 80%? Would you say 70%? 50% for some of us maybe? <laughs> right? But guess what? You might think you're 99%. But there is only 100% or 0%, the Bible says. In 1 John 5, 11, 12, it says either you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. Either you have life or you don't have life. Either your name's written in the book of life or it's not written in the book of life according to Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It talks about an eternal judgment that's coming. Because God is a just God. See, love speaks the truth. Love is just. That's why our job here as followers of Christ is to bring more and more justice in the world. Micah 6.8. Do justice. Help things get right. So we should care about the broken things of the world to help make them right. That's what justice is. God has to bring justice once and for all to the world that he talks about here. And we will be held accountable for our decisions we make now. Right? What we do today will echo in eternity. The gladiator movie, Maximus Aurelius. He didn't even know he was saying truth. Maybe he did. <laughs> it will. We're all eternal. And the decisions we make today, my dad would always quote Proverbs 27, 12. It says, 
prudence uh, dwells with wisdom, basically. The, the, the definition of prudence, when you read that, and in my dad's words, he kind of took it and it says this, knowing the future results of your present actions. CJ, what is the definition of prudence? Yeah, you got to say that in your preacher voice next time. All right. So I say it all the time because my dad said it to me. You know all these, these phrases, right? They're really good in our house to repeat truth so we can make wise decisions. And if we know the future results of our present actions, I'm telling you the truth. We are all eternal. And then that leads us to the third thing. Because I looked death in the face, I had less than 12% lung function. I had my letters written. I had my video made. I had prepared my children for death and life and what it would be. I had my funeral planned out with my dad and who was going to be doing my worship and all this stuff and what the celebration would look like. had all my ducks in a row, kind of, <laughs> uh, because it was a long time. It was about, I, I looked death in the face. God kept me alive for a long period of time, uh, probably about seven months as I just sat there. My wife would, would bring me meals. I eventually couldn't, couldn't shower. I had to be isolated. Uh, and it was a tough season of my life. But these truths are what transformed me and molded me and shaped me. See, life is a vapor, James 4.14 says. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And so you have to know this third one. I'm going to amp it up here. You are worth it. You are worth it. My dad did... Uh, a talk way back when he was a, a young guy like me at a Bible camp for kids, and he taught them on value. At the time, there was a lot of emphasis on self-esteem and different things going on, so he taught on what God's Word has to say about value and worth. And so he came up with these five points that you'll see here as we walk through this under You Are Worth It. God created you. That's identity here at Village. He created you. You are made in His image. You are image bearers of Him. He redeemed you. That is an amazing one. First Peter 1, 19, 18 and 19 says that you were bought at the highest cost, more than silver or gold. You were bought at the blood, the life purchased by Jesus Himself the most precious, the highest cost possible. John 19.30 is where Jesus is on the cross and he says it is finished. And what that means is it is paid for. It's the picture of like a credit card going through and saying approved. It's you're pardoned, right? And then God is restoring you. He is constantly working on you. You're a masterpiece of artwork. He's never gonna stop helping you shape you, mold you. He recruited you. Who was picked last on the playground? <laughs> right? He says, I want you. <laughs> you are God's number one recruit. John 15, 16, I chose you. Doesn't it feel good to be chosen? 
I want you, right? And God is returning for you. He's coming back for you. This is awesome truth that we need to get our head wrapped around. You see, when you're going through a hard circumstance, when you're like the man born blind sitting out on the side of the road, he's just like us, I'm sure, having many of these, these thoughts, right? Uh, I, you know, you, you start to get discouraged after a while when you're walking through this for a long time. So I was very discouraged at one point as I was looking death in the face. And I was on this lung transplant list and I had gotten one phone call and I got, it was a dry run to tell you what a dry run is. A dry run is where you get a phone call, you're all excited, you have your bags packed, you get to the uh, hospital, you get all prepped and then they get you in and, and you're all ready to go for surgery. And then the lungs get there and the surgeon decides, nope, they're not a good fit for, for this guy. And they don't, they don't do the surgery, they send you home. That's a dry run, right? So that can be, you know, you, you kind of got to be aware of that, be prepared for that. So I get the second phone call. But before I get the second phone call, I'm like, man, this, this is, with modern medicine, they can prolong life a long time. For a guy like me who knows Jesus, knows that God loves my family more than I could possibly imagine, and has struggled with uh, self-doubt, uh, depression, different things my whole life. I lost focus on Jesus. And I, uh, to be honest, I just want to be really real with you guys. And I wanted to go home. I wanted to go be with Jesus. And I didn't want to go the, the, through with this lung transplant. I wanted to just go the natural way. Like, man, why do you got to keep me alive so long? I'm, caught, I'm, I'm a burden to my wife. I'm a burden to my kids. I can't even parent my kids. You know, I'm having all these thoughts and struggles. I'm like, God, just take me home. Why does this have to go so long? So I get this second phone call. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go forward with it. They, they always ask you, do you want these lungs? You have the option to say no. If you say no, you're off the list forever. So I said yes, of course, and so we go in, and I get all prepped again, and uh, they put me in the holding room before they go into surgery, and the different medical staff come into the room to kind of tell you their role and whatnot, and the surgeon comes the, at the last time, and he has you sign something, you know, uh, sign your life away, even, <laughs> yeah, even though you're pretty much facing death anyway, and uh, then he leaves, and when he left, I was alone in there. I'm hooked up to all this stuff. And my heart's just pounding. And, and I can see on the screen, I'm like, oh, no, it's going to alert, you know, and they're going to have to run in. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be a pastor here. I'm supposed to be a witness to these, these folks about uh, having peace in the midst of a hard time. And I have no peace. What's going on here? I'm like freaking out. And uh, uh, in that moment, I, I know God's always with us. He's with us right now. He's, he never leaves us. He'll never forsake us. He's, He's, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But in that moment, it was like he was like, I know he's literally in the room with me, but I felt his presence even more than I've ever felt it before. It was one of those moments where you just, you have that you never will forget and you can li kind of can live in that moment. And it says in the Bible, his sheep will know his voice. And I didn't audibly hear his voice, but I heard his voice. I know it was him speaking to me. And he 
came in that room. He's the great physician, remember? He's the great healer. He's the one who heals. And he met me in that room, and he said, Jed, I love you. So you used my full name, Jedediah. Uh, I love you. And I just got the tingles from like the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. And, and he said, Jed, you are so worth it. I want you to fight with everything you got. And I want you to trust me. And I want you to give your life fully in my hands. I know you already have, but I want you to give your life fully in my hands. I'm the giver and taker of You're mine. You're my son. I love you. It was in that moment that changed me because I went into surgery and a day later I woke up and my wife's holding my hand and I have a breathing tube down my throat and they have to remove the breathing tube so she didn't say anything to me yet because it takes all your focus to get this breathing tube until they remove it. When they remove it, my wife says, hey, uh, Jed, I don't want to disappoint you, uh, but you didn't have the surgery. I'm like, oh, <laughs> bummer. And I had still the oxygen going, and I'm like, oh, man, you know. But then I had such a peace because of what happened the day before. And she's like, aren't you upset or aren't you? I'm like, no, I, we got this together, man. And it was that I needed God to give me that word to tell me that truth straight from his word to help me get through the next three months when I got my third phone call, right? And I went in and I got the transplant, double lung transplant, September 2nd, 2017. And that's why I can stand up here with, in front of you with no oxygen, fully able to just communicate at whatever voice volume I want to communicate at with. Because I have, can take breath because of God. And may he get all the glory because he is the healer. And he can take me home anytime he wants, right? Because I, these, these lungs, just like all of our bodies, have a time limit, don't they? Right? And our lives are in his hands. And he's the one who does the work. And he says to us, never give up. Trust me. Like, really, trust me. You are worth it. You are loved with the greatest love ever. Right? That's what God does for us. And he gives this sweet promise in James 1, 2 through 4. I hung on to a long time. Right? He says, whatever trial, count it all joy, my brothers. Whatever trial you go through, whatever you're going through, because here's what happens when you endure, when you patiently endure, when you, when you know this truth and you keep going on, you keep giving all you got every day. What happens is you will be made mature, complete, and lack nothing. Wow, what a gift that God gives us. It's a promise. So we can change our have to. Oh, I have to get up today. Oh, I have to go do this today. To uh, get to. Oh, I get to get up today. Oh, I get to go to do this. I get to worship with Village Community Church today. I get to sing praises together to God. I get to live this life. Right? We can change it from a have to to a get to when we know this truth. 
when you say yes to Jesus, and I want to tell you this, this is the most important decision you can ever make, is saying yes to Jesus. Because Jesus says, hey, here's what it takes to be my disciple. Here's what it takes. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. You have to be willing to lose your life, but there's a sweet promise. He's going to give it to you. You have to put him first above every relationship, but guess what happens? Oh, wow, you get the best life ever as a reward, right? You get Jesus. You get a relationship with him. You get all of the promises in this word that he gives you. We get to have peace and joy, right? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We get to get all these things in Christ. So when we have clarity of the truth, you are loved by God, you are eternal, you are worthless. Guess what happens? It leads to confidence. And that confidence, which is rooted in our identity in Christ, that confidence flows out courage. And guess what we get to do? Come on, what do we get to do? Yeah, we get to worship God. Look at John chapter 9. Let's go back there and let's wrap it all up. John chapter 9. This is, wraps up this. If we look here, John 9, verse uh, 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, having found him. So here's what happened. This man got so excited about being healed that he went around and told everybody. The Pharisees didn't like that. Religious leaders didn't like that because it was giving what? Glory to God, to Jesus the real God. They didn't want glory to go to Jesus. They wanted to remain with the lie that they were worshiping the right God when they were worshiping the wrong God. And here's the thing. Jesus hears about this because the guy got kicked out of the synagogue. He couldn't worship with them anymore. And Jesus comes to him and says this, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered in verse 36, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you right now. And this is what the man born blind says. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. We get to worship God. We get the opportunity to be his children. And we get to go out and tell everyone about the healing we get to receive. The forgiveness we have. Not just the physical healing, but the spiritual healing. The life we get to have for eternity with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So let's declare together these truths because these are true for everyone in this room. Now you have to uh, surrender your life to Jesus to become his child. But here's what it says. Let's declare the truth. You are loved by God. So let's actually change it to I am. Are you ready? I am loved by God. I am eternal I am worth it. Ready? I am loved by God. I am eternal. I am worth it. For some of you, that was probably hard to say because you might not feel that truth yet. But let that truth sink in today, okay? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we get to be here together. Thank you that we get to look at the truth of your word. Thank you for revealing yourself as God, as King, to us. 
Thank you for the life that you give out. And I know that each person here is dealing with something different, some kind of trial, some kind of impossibility, some kind of struggle in life. Lord, speak into them today. Give them what they need to hear. Speak your word to them. May they have a heart to hear, ears to hear. May they understand this truth, and may they get rid of all the lies. May we focus on you today. May you be worshipped. And we thank you for the opportunity to gather and do that. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.